London cabbies are a wonderful, rich and varied bunch of people, and Mark Munro, this week's guest, is no exception. Born in Plymouth, Mark moved to London as a young man and studied musical theatre at the Arts Ed School in Chiswick, West London, after which he was a jobbing actor, in theatre to the age of about 33. Realising the instability of the acting world, Mark took the knowledge, absorbing every facet of his new home London. Mark's love of London extended beyond the standout historical icons such as Buckingham Palace and the London Eye. It was the quirky, bizarre and unusual that excites him. So much so that in May 2019, as a complete novice in filmmaking, presenting and social media, Mark created Secret London, his very own YouTube channel, where he shares a side of London very few people are ever aware of or indeed ever get to see. When social distancing is over, I'm going to ask Mark to take me to see some of these fabulous places he talks about. But for now, we can all enjoy his wonderful secret London story from the comfort of our own homes, wherever in the world we may be. I'm Steve Lazarus, and this is your London Legacy. I've got a special offer for you. Regular listeners to the podcast will know that at the end of each interview, we ask our guests to tell us one or two of their favourite places in London that is personal to them and perhaps not everybody knows about. Well, I've now compiled for you 60 of my guests' favourite places in London, and you can get this unique brochure 100% free. Alongside each guest recommendation is a brief quote explaining why they love the place, a lovely picture of it, plus links to the venue and the podcast episode itself so you can check it out in your own time. It's completely free, and all you have to do is go to www.yourlondonlegacy.com on the homepage and click on the red button where it says guests favorite places in London click here for your free copy I hope you enjoyed as much as I did creating it for you keep listening best wishes and keep safe Steve well I'm delighted to welcome onto the podcast today the one the only Mark Munro you're a YouTube vlogger extraordinary you call yourself a vlogger Mark is that what, is that what I, you I are guess, now I guess it, well, I would be a vlogger I never imagined myself being a vlogger now, I never imagined myself being a podcaster. But there you go. <laughs> well, yeah, it's funny what you end up doing, isn't it, when you've got a bit of spare time on your hands. <laughs> but um, yeah, I, yeah, vlogger, you know, um, researcher, uh, lover of London, uh, uh-huh. explorer, taxi driver, um, London taxi driver, I should add. Um, yeah, so vlogger's fine. Yeah, why not? Vlogger, black cab driver, taxi driver, London. Yeah. All round good egg Londoner. That's what we like. <laughs> definitely, definitely <laughs> yeah. all there. Well, welcome to the podcast. It's, it's, it's great to have you on the show. We, we you, did Steve. have a, a miserably failed attempt at this yesterday. When uh... We did. We had some tech problems, didn't we? We should let the listeners know, um, which have been rectified and everything is going very smoothly so far, isn't it? So far, so far, so good. <laughs> Even the weather's improved. It's a be- beautiful, hot, sunny day here in northwest London. Where, where are you? Ealing at the moment. I'm in Ealing at the moment, West London, and we're looking at 29 degrees and moving on to 33 degrees tomorrow. So wow. there's a little weather okay. update for everyone in <laughs> London tomorrow, and that's how into London I am. That's serious, serious bit of uh, advanced warning there. Well, I've got my shorts on, yep. so uh, I, don't, I don't wear shorts all that often. So. Well, they don't come out very often, and we don't get the opportunity in this city, so you've got to take advantage. <laughs> Fortunately, as a as a podcaster, you don't get to see my little fat legs. <laughs> but as a as a vlogger, you might get to see yours on that, another that's occasion. That's right. I don't no. think I've done an episode with short song yet. But if no. if I get enough requests, then that could be a possibility, Steve. But it would have Come to be on, a people. lot. 
Come on, come people. On, come on, come put, on. Put those requests out for Mark yeah. to get his legs out. I can imagine the likes won't be a lot, but um, let's, let's... <laughs> you never know. You might go viral. <laughs> well, in that case, it'll be shorts every week then. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's lovely to have you on the show at last. We finally, we finally made it. So, Mark, black cab driver, mm. not originally mm. from London. Not originally. Uh, you hail, no, you hail from uh, Plymouth and Cornwall originally. From, I'm, I'm southwest. I'm, yep, a yokel, uh, you could say. Originally, I was born in Plymouth, but I was brought up in Cornwall. My father met my mother. She was Cornish at a dance there. He was a military man. He wooed her, is what military men do in their uniform, basically. They both fell in love and um, they had me and my brother, basically. And um, yeah, we were were brought up in Cornwall and then moved over to Devon. And basically, we were stuck around the southwest of England and ended up wherever my dad was posted to. So about some Cornwall, were you you anywhere near Padstow or places uh, around there? Believe it or not, I was in Port Isaac. Now, I don't know if you know Port Isaac, but that's where they, they filmed Doc Martin. So... Port Isaac was put on the map in a big way because of this show with Martin Clunes, isn't it? Who plays who plays Doc Martin, and um, it brings a lot of revenue in to Port Isaac, and it's been it's been a hit for the local economy there. Every year, tourist numbers are up, visitors are up, uh, property is always full down there in the summer, but it's like many of those small villages around Port Isaac, uh, like Port Isaac, they they don't have all year round people in those buildings all the time. So um, you've just got this seasonal tranche of people coming in and then leaving it in the winter and not spending money. So it's very seasonal. People come and go and the locals, well, very few of them live down in the village at the moment. Um, they live up in the village um, because they've all been bought out. Mm. Holiday guess, home, Steve. Holiday. I'm home. guessing with staycation upon us and everyone being sent back from Spain, they're all going to be flooding down to uh, well, more on, this, on that it, coast. That's that's going to be happening. Now we've got the quarantine coming back from Spain and other yeah. countries are going to be on the list. Then you, people are just not going to risk going abroad. They're going mm. to be coming back um, to coastal areas around England, Wales, yeah. Scotland. And why not? Because there are some... Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful places. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, we have we to just, share. We've had a couple of uh, holidays cancelled so far this year, and another one yeah. to be cancelled. We're due to go to Lanzarote, and that's which, over. Well, <laughs> it's looking. It's not looking promising. Put it that way. It's not looking promising. So we, we might head down to Port Isaac. Who knows? Well, it's a beautiful place, and you're a bit yeah. further down Padstow, where my grandfather was from, um, and then you've got Rick Stein's restaurant there, and yeah. um, there's right. so much to see. Cornwall is a mecca in the summer, so get yeah, we something used to go there now. Kids to um, is it Red Roof, Bed Roof, and Steps Hotel? Yeah. There's kids around there. Yeah, I don't know the hotel, but Red Roof, yeah. I know. Yeah, yeah. So Lots explore, go out there. Lanzarote, you'll have to wait, Steve. It will. Lanzagrotti. There you go. That's for, <laughs> for, for another time. Anyway, with the weather we've got today, who needs that anyway? Who, who does? So tell us a bit about your, your, yourself. You, you grew up um, on that coastline yeah. with your father moving around because he worked for the MOD. And exactly. Then... So 
we were kind of always on the move. So we were ended up Plymouth and the Ministry of Defence and then Yeovil uh, and then Western Supermare. Those mm-hmm. postings were basically where he were where he was he had to go. Um, you didn't really have any choice with the Ministry of Defence, and we followed him. And then uh, thirteen, um, I lost my mother, so my dad kind of took the reins and he's a fantastic guy and he looked after us and brought us up me and my brother very well so thanks dad you're amazing uh quick mention for him there absolutely and plug. absolutely and in my teenage years i started doing um theater so <laughs> I, I i auditioned once for the somerset youth theater and um me and a friend and um we weren't expecting much it was a day out i think we were 15, 16, something like that. Just getting into that age where, you know, women and girls are interesting and stuff. And we thought to us, oh, this will be great. Let's join a youth theatre. It'll be a great way of meeting girls. We had no idea what we had to do. But um, anyway, I went along and they did these auditions. I can't remember where. I think it was in Street in Somerset. And um, we did these auditions and someone asked me to sing. And um, the show was West Side Story. Oh, wonderful. Uh, So... They said, um, "Oh, can you can you just uh, sing this?" That pianist came on, and can you sing this phrase? And uh, do you know this song? And I did. It was quite a standard song that everyone would know. I don't think it was a football chant or anything, but it was something more. It was, it was something more delicate than that. So um, they asked me to sing, and. I was basically at the back with all the other people auditioning, just chatting to my mate, going, oh, God, when's this going to finish? Like, God, when, when can we get out and run over to Glastonbury? Is the festival on, whatever. And um, they said, oh, can you stay behind, Mark? And I, uh, I said, oh, God, yeah, whatever. What have I done now was normally the reaction. And so they asked to listen to me again. They asked me to sing again. And um, then they asked me to stay behind again. And my friend Alan was there. Uh, I think we got out there about seven. And just before we left, the director came up and said, oh, Mark, we want you to play Tony, uh, which was the lead character. One of the lead roles, yeah. Which I didn't. I said, oh, yeah, what, what's this, Tony? He goes, well, that's the lead part in West Side Story. So I said, oh, yeah. <laughs> well, that's interesting, isn't it? Um, so I was thinking, West Side Story? I don't I don't think I'd even seen it or watched a production of it or what you did on it. the most famous musical. The ever. most famous <laughs> musical, Leonard Bernstein lyrics by Stephen Sondheim. So I went home immediately and watched it, uh, watched the film and thought, oh my God, that's a bit of a part, isn't it, in a half? And then rehearsal started that summer. I jumped straight into them, thought, oh, what a... at the same time, I was thinking, God, this is a, you know, this is a lot to do, a lot, a lot to take on board because it's, I didn't know the part was that iconic in a way basically it's him uh, maria the female and uh which is a huge thing for her uh riff and um the leader of the sharks which is bernardo so you've got these three big parts tony's got a big singing part he's a bit drippy a bit lovely you know he falls in love and yeah. um you're kind of doing that part and thinking oh god i wish i was bernardo i wish i was riff some nice <laughs> <laughs> but um, you get the chance to sing some amazing songs. So uh, I did that. I got into the youth theatre. Uh, we did that production that year at the Taunton Playhouse, and I cut my teeth on amateur theatre. And then I went to um, I auditioned for the Western Polytechnic, Western Supermare Polytechnic, and started doing their shows: um, Greece, um, Sweet Charity, and they did West Side Story as well. They did not, so I'd done West Side Story a second time, but I didn't play Tony. I played Riff, who was the leader of the Jets, which was a yeah. much more, which, believe it or not, so I kind of... So you dream role then? 
yeah, yeah. So I got to do the other part. So the that was quite one. nice. Yeah, yeah, the aggressive one. You know, I could be a you know bad boy, and you know, I could you know boss people about and be a leader of a gang. I mean, who wouldn't want to be a leader of a gang, Steve? So I did that, and then I was interested. I was always interested in theatre, and um, then about twenty, I finished my. A levels, it was A levels then and O levels, O levels and A levels. Mm-hmm. And then it was time to um, think, well, what am I going to do? Um, I, I didn't really want to stay around um, Somerset, I, you know, just jump into a regular job. So a few of my friends had got into drama schools and performance schools in London. So I started auditioning for those and um, I went through the rounds of auditioning. And one school that gave me a place, and I was very happy they did was the arts education on Chiswick and then before you knew it I was in West London I I arrived in London I managed to get us my fees paid for by Somerset County Council Um, how old were you at this time I was 22 I think this is the first time yeah a big smoke on your own this time yeah so that was (laughs) it was strange because I moved up in one day I got I, I got the grants. Basically, I couldn't. I couldn't. It was one of those schools where I, I couldn't afford the fees myself. I I applied for um, a grant from Somerset County Council, and they interviewed me. Basically, they asked me, and, and they said, um, they said we want to know that you're right for this money because it's a lot of money over three years. Yeah. And it was. It was then because you had a maintenance grant as well, mm-hmm. so as well as having all your fees paid. So they, I had to basically on a one-to-one basis, prove to them that um, they weren't wasting their money. <laughs> uh, uh, little did they know. <laughs> so I sat down and I told them and I showed them all the flyers and stuff I'd been in and all the productions and put it forward to them and put my fa- case forward. And they phoned me sort of like the day I was supposed to start, the first day enrollment at Arts Ed, and said, okay, you've got the grant. You can go. And I was like, oh, oh my God. God, right, that's it. So I got everything together. And the following day, I just moved to London. Wow. And I moved to Chiswick. And I thought everywhere in London was like Chiswick. Beautiful. If only. (laughs) (laughs) If only. If only. So um, I I arrived. God, this London. This is great. It's really nice. Got lovely parks. Everyone's really nice. River, nice bars. Nice bars. Turn McGreen Terrace. Oh, God, everyone's so friendly. Beautiful fish shop. Lovely little, you know, private shops. No chains. And glory on your doorstep. Yeah, and all these famous people living around Bath Road in Chiswick um, on the Norman, is it the Norman Shore Estate there? Those wonderful houses. And I, I, I went looking for a place to live. And in those days, you had to go into newsagents and you looked at postcards and they put these postcards outside. I don't know if you ever did this in London. It was the only way. It was either that or loot. There was a free publication called Loot. Yeah. So um, you either got loot and um, if you wanted to find somewhere to live in loot, you basically just, you know, put your finger down and, you know, hope that it landed on something good because only most of it was rubbish. So um, I ended up going to one of those news agents, read a postcard and said, oh, room for rent, £45 a week, Wellick Road at the bottom of the avenue, about five minutes walk away from arts ed so i phoned uh, the landlady up and she said i'll oh, come around tonight six o'clock so i had all my bags i had, no, I had nowhere to go I, I just had my bags there after getting out of turn and green tube station um waited till six she wasn't there i had to go and have coffee somewhere i was just you know roaming around 
looking last, obviously. Got to her. Um, showed me the room, room in the back of the house, little room, functional, had everything I needed, a little kitchen I had to share with someone else, a bathroom. And that was it. So I went to sleep that night thinking, what are you doing? <laughs> what are you doing with your life? You're going into, you're going into, you know, you're in a room somewhere in London. You don't know where you are. You don't know anyone. And the following morning, I was going to wake up and walk down the road and go into this art school and then start the next three years of my life, which is very enjoyable. So you did, you did the whole three year? I did. I did. I did. And what, what did you come out with? What, what did you get? You come out with a performance diploma. Right. Yeah, you basically come out with a performance diploma. So at the art, arts, at the arts ed, they have a ballet school. They have three separate schools there. They have a ballet school. They have a musical theatre school, which is the one I was on, which was the what they call the twirly one, and the serious, <laughs> the serious drama, uh, the drama school. So they're all under the same roof. And I think the ballet school, the the ballet dancers from the school there come from Tring. So they first train in Tring and then they move up to Arts Ed. The, um, um, when they're Arts Ed, they do their, the majority of their training and then move on to performance. Um, and I was in the musical theatre department and the drama and the drama department was alongside and it's a big school. So, um, yeah, so three years there and every day they push you. So what were you learning? Were you learning sort of acting skills? Or were you learning directional skills, how to produce, how to, you know, cut um, elements were the, you doing? The, the musical theatre course was split up um, daily. Your dancing would start in the morning. So you'd either have jazz, ballet, tap. They do all the physical stuff in the morning. Then in the afternoon, there would be acting classes, singing classes, performance classes. Um, so everything was built around getting you basically to dance, number one to getting, getting the three disciplines up and running. So you needed your first discipline to dance, your second discipline to act, and your third discipline to sing. Now, everyone was slightly different. I was a, I was a actor, singer, then dancer. Um, and on this course, you could have a, a, a great dancer, and then they, you know, they were second actor and then third singer. So everyone... You, it was um, a bit of a smorgasbord of talent from top to bottom or bottom to top, if you know what I mean. So you have better singers than dancers and dance and dancing was not, you know, great for me. But it was a hell of a lot better after three years, I can tell you that, because they really, they really drill you. They really drill you at that school and they get you fit. You wouldn't believe what you can do after two years there, I remember. Um, and there's a jazz teacher called Jackie and she was, well, she was brutal. I mean, she would she would turn anyone into an athlete and you couldn't say no and she would work you hard and she would get you doing the stuff that she wanted you to do because she knew you had to be a certain level you had to be a certain level to get through that type of industry and um, she was great at that but um mm. yeah so you, you had to get all those three trades under your belt to a certain standard um and then there were other classes like there was uh, not a pilates class there were other classes where you would get some script and you would study it and you would study a play and you would talk through it just so you can understand um, what's going on through a writer's point of view, what's going on through the actor's point of view and what sort of message you want to get across to audiences and things like that. So it did everything, basically. Art said, gets you ready for everything. So, yeah, three and years did there. You, so when you came out, were you sort of 
I think it's Boris Johnson would say, were you good to go? Were you oven ready to go to uh, the theatre and perform on the stage in the West End? Yeah, I mean, you do, you are, you are ready to go. Um, In the third year, I remember they allowed you to go out and start auditioning. Um, Because by the third year, you, you are ready. And then near the end of the third year, they've got agents that are basically coming around to see you. Because Mm. another thing, that art center had a good reputation for getting good performers out. So agents need people on their books. It's not just a one-way street. Everyone thinks, oh my God, actors are just, you know, dying to get a job. They'll do anything to get a job. But agents need to make money through having decent performers on their books sure. as well. So that's really important. So there used to be agents' nights. And the third year was where you did your productions at the in-house theatre there. So when you did your productions, I think ours was Godspell. And then we did GNS and Gilbert and Sullivan. And then I can't remember. Yeah, it was Godspell, Gilbert and Sullivan, Gilbert and Sullivan, and another one. Uh, oh, no, it was, a, it was a musical called Promises, Promises, where I played um, uh, Mr. Sheldrake, which is the older American character in that. Uh, it's based around the film The Apartment with Jack Lemmon. I don't know if you've famous. I'm not familiar yeah. with the musical. Yeah, there's a famous song there, um, I'll Never Fall In Love Again, basically. Mm-hmm. That, that song, I'm sure you've heard of that one. Yes. So we did those three productions. And during the, doing those th- three productions in the final year, agents are invited along and they can talk to whoever they want, who they feel would fit on their books and stuff like that. So, And that, that was the three years, but that's how it worked. Art and did you get any juicy roles? Yeah, Art well, I, I did... I was I was basically a jobbing a jobbing actor. I mean, I ended up in the third year doing a Cameron Mackintosh. The first thing I did was a Cameron Mackintosh um, musical called A Whale of a Tale, which previewed out in Oxford, the Oxford Firehouse. I don't know if you and then it went into the Piccadilly in the West End, and it was one of his only big flops. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I haven't heard of it. Absolutely, it's called. It was called a whale of a tale. It had um, the lead actor was a an Australian singer um called Tony Monopoly. Um, yeah, he was called Toby Monopoly. He was a he was a hell of a singer and a real character, and he played Ahab. And this was taken from Oxford and then put on in the West End. And it was one of those shows you watched it, and it was as if you were tripping. Whoever thought of the concept, obviously, it's built around the story of. Ishmael, Ahab, Moby Dick, with music. So uh, imagine what, watching that if you've um, just been on. Um, Sounds wonderful. Some of the wacky backy, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So um, yeah. and then after that, Pantos, touring productions. Peter Pan. I worked with um, Frank Finlay. I was understudying him as Captain Hook, and we kind of went everywhere with that production. Wind in the Willows, um, Aladdin with the uh, the Biggins. Which is uh, oh, yeah. Yeah. Christopher you, Biggins. Christopher Biggins. If you're going to do um, if you're going to do a panto, get one with Christopher Biggins <laughs> because you're going to have so much entertainment off stage as well as on stage. Uh-huh. And um, that was actually that was Bonnie Langford and Gloria Honeyford and the Chuckle Brothers. Oh, wow. um, we, we've yeah. lost one of them, haven't we? In the last yeah, we have. Year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But they, they were when I when they when they turned up the Chuckle Brothers, I was thinking. I didn't really know a lot about them. I said, well, who are the Chuckle Brothers? And then was going, you don't know the Chuckle Brothers? They're massive. They're amazing. You know, yeah, I think they me, got a lot. To you. To me. To you. To me. To you. Yeah. So, yeah. And then um, that that career progressed down in its own path. And I did work. And then other things happened in your life. And um, 
acting work doesn't come regularly so you do other stuff you know i've got mm. other jobs i've got other jobs as well and then a while ago i decided oh, God, i need a job for life and a good job for life someone told me was you'll never go hungry if you're a london cab driver yeah <laughs> so i thought well that what how do you become a london cab driver i remember chatting to a friend in a bar somewhere because well you have to do the knowledge Oh, oh yeah yeah so i'm looking at him going yeah but you won't be able to do it it's too hard and too long so i went mm. so i went home and googled the knowledge and um foolishly enough i thought yeah i can do that and uh, <laughs> after after putting my papers in which is what you do they invited me in for a it's called a talk i don't know if um anyone's told you about how the knowledge works you do a talk uh which is basically the head examiner teaches you how to learn the knowledge because if you don't learn it the proper way you won't pass the appearances you won't pass the exams there's a particular way of learning the knowledge and if you don't do it that way you'll fail and that's what this talk was about and then they give you the blue book you put it under your arm you go out and buy a little um honda 90 cub motorbike with a little plastic screen on the front with your maps and everything like that and uh, you get that set up and then you do your first run, uh, Manor House to Gibson Square, even left Greens Lanes, right Brownsville Road, the Blackstock Road, Ford Hyper Park, Ford Hyper Grove, right St. Paul's Road, Comply Harbour Corner, lead by Upper Street, right Milner Street, left Milner Square, Ford Gibson Square facing. So wow. you'll get that first yeah. run, which will never leave your brain for the rest of your life. It sounds like that's haunting you. <laughs> yeah. And um, you just never forget it because then there's another 339 to do after that. No, 319 now. There used to be 400. There's 300. So what is the blue book? Is the blue book a list of routes that you have to learn? Yeah. So when you're when you're on the knowledge, as they say, you're on the knowledge, you're training to become a London taxi driver, you'll get a book called the blue book. Now, the blue book is a list of 320 runs from one point to another, the first one being manor house to gibson square you'll go out on your bike i mean some people do do it in a car i don't know how they can do that it must take s- such a long time mm. with it, especially with the london traffic but i have had heard of heard of people doing it in a car some people apparently have done it on push bikes but the most convenient way of doing it is on a moped with the screen in front of you so you'd have a plastic board in front of you i don't know if anyone's listening and they've seen those motorbikes in town not the ones with delivery and the boxes on the back those aren't the ones I'm talking about, everyone. The ones I'm talking about have a plastic board on the front and you'll, you won't be able to make it out. But it's not for social distancing. It's not for social distancing. <laughs> Absolutely not. But actually, it could be. Could be. So uh, they, they've got that uh, board on the front and you'll see some maps on there. And the map, and there'll be a list of, uh, there'll be a run on there as well, one point to another point. What he's doing is he, he's doing a run He's, he's driving a run from one point in London to another point in London, and it'll be a run probably out of the blue book. So it probably takes a day to do two runs. So you can split that up uh, over 320. What's that math, Steve? I don't know. No, split, I haven't got a clue. Yeah. But what is, he, is he actually sort of trying to memorize the route, yeah. you know, left and right and, and the street names and he, the landmarks? Oh, he will have to memorize that route. Number one, he'll have to memorize that route. But at the start, at Manor House, he will have to go around Manor House, a quarter of a mile distance around Manor House, and pick up all the other points of interest. So 
he'll do that. He'll get to Gibson Square and then he'll pick up all the little points of interest, write them down around Gibson Square. So he hasn't got just two points of interest, Manor House to Gibson Square, because a, a customer might ask you to go to one of those two places, Manor House or Gibson Square. But he could ask you somewhere else near to Manor House and then somewhere else near to Gibson Square, a point of interest, a bar, a pub, a local building, a council building, a government building, somewhere, anywhere that anyone can ask you to take you to. The only thing black taxi drivers don't do are street numbers, basically. That's what we don't do. We can't do street numbers. <laughs> we do streets, but not street numbers. It would just it would just be too much. So they, they can ask you everything. So get as many as those points down. Once you've done got the blue book under your belt, you've only just started because then you've got to fill in all the gaps in between. And that's going to take you a long time. So you're looking at seven, an average of 17,000 points. A point is a place of interest. Say like, wow. uh, you know, Henry's Bar or or the Ritz or, or a monument, Queen Victoria Monument or the RAF sculpture or anything like that. Any point of interest you have to know because as far as the examiners are concerned at the carriage office, they can ask you anything. They won't at the start when you start your exams, but when you get down to your final exams, they expect you to to be right on it. They want you what's, to know. What's the format of the final exam? Is that just a, a verbal? You have to write it down, or that you have to drive them around from place oh, um, to place? Well, it's. Uh, I don't know if you've ever seen the film Knowledge. I don't think I have. You no, know, it's um, Jack Rosenthal. I think it is uh, wrote that. It's, the exam process is done over a time period. So once you've done the uh, blue book, you've done that in, and then you do a map test. So they'll give you a blank. You'll come in. They say we want you to do your map test now. Now you've done your blue book. A map test. They give you a they give you a map, <laughs> which is blank. It's got no street names on it. And then there'll be a list of street names to the side of that map. And they'll say we want you to write down these street names on this blank map. So you got to fill in the map. You've got to fill in the map. You've got to fill in the map, and you've got to have over eighty percent for that. You've got to uh, really have a photographic memory, haven't you? Yeah, yeah. So that was a bit that th- that can be confusing. That's quite daunting when you see a blank map with no with just I you bet. just see the streets and you don't see any street names. But I got through that, and then you're then assigned your first appearance. They're not called exams; they're called appearances. Steve, God, how incredible is that Sorry. to make you feel even more nervous? Yeah, because you actually do appear in front of an examiner on a one-to-one, in a one-to-one environment with a desk in front. And you'll go through your 56-day appearance. So they'll only see you every 56 days to start off with. You do your 56-day appearances. Once you've gained 12 points points on those 56-day appearances, you then move to 28 days. They'll see you every 28 days after that. They think you've improved. Mark, you're doing a lot better. You got your 12 points on 56 days. We'll move you to 28 days. You now need 12 points on 28 days. Once you get your 12 points on 28 days, they'll move you to 21 day appearances. Um, and then you're really at the. Well, what do they ask you on an appearance? Oh, they'll say um, an, an examiner will. You'll be in the waiting room. An examiner will come in, basically. and. Um, He'll say, uh, Mr. Clayton, I go, yes, sir. And you'll have your suit on. And you should say Clayton is your real name. That's correct. Munro is your stage name. Munro is is the stage name. Absolutely. Just I introduced you as Mark Munro. Absolutely. Absolutely. And then you'll be asked in by whatever examiner you'll get. Hopefully you won't get Wilkins. Please not Wilkins. (laughs) He'll, He'll crucify me. He'll crucify me. So... 
maybe I'll get Courtney. He was a big Rastafarian um, examiner. He had a fantastic knowledge of London, a real character. He's been on TV quite a few times, actually, as a black cab driver. And then you'll be asked into this room and there'll be a map in front of him. And he will say, take, take me from Lancaster Gate to St. Paul's Cathedral. And you'll say, okay, sir, Lancaster Gate, that's Bayswater Road, um, St. Paul's Cathedral, Ludgate Hill. So you then name the two destinations so you know where they are. And then you run it. So you go left Bayswater Road, forward Marble Arch, right uh, Park Lane, Bly High Park Corner, left Constitution Hill, forward the Mount, blah, blah, blah. You have to be aware of all one-way systems and that sort of stuff. If you call a road in the wrong direction, he immediately stops the the exam, the appearance, and sends you out the room. And you failed. Oh God! How humiliating is that? If if you can't name the point he starts with, he'll he'll offer you up another point. So if you don't know where Lancaster Gate is, you will know where Lancaster Gate is. Well, you should do. But if you don't, you say, "Oh, sorry, sir, I don't know that." He'll offer you another point. If you don't know that, he'll offer you a third point. And if you don't know that, he'll offer you the door, and you're out. Yeah. So it's come back in another fifty-six days. So and you you scored no points. So. It, that's another 56 days and you only get seven chances on every level. So if you've got to the seventh 56 day appearances, which is a year and a half already gone, remember, and you don't get your three points to get you up to 12 points on that one, you then go back to the start of 56 days again. So you're going to be on, you're going to be on appearances for at least another year. So it's really, that's the pressure. So there are, there are guys out there um, who've been on it for five, six years. And obviously, so how long did it take you to complete? Uh, three and a half years. Okay. Yeah. Well, what, what's the average? Is that sort of it, about? I did it part-time. I was working. I did it part-time, studying in the evening, calling over, which basically means calling over the runs in my head so I didn't forget anything. And then at weekends, I went out on the scooter, picked up as many points of interest as I can, Noted them all down, noted any one-way systems. You can't do any U-turns on the knowledge as well, like cab drivers do <laughs> in reality. Mm. They just spin around and you know away you go. But on the knowledge, there are certain rules you have to stick to. So no U-turns. And basically, you've got to, you've got to sh- prove to the examiner that your knowledge is worthy of a green badge. And only then will you be, well will you be awarded one? And mm. for me, part-time, I th- some guys, I think two years full-time, you can do it for two years full-time, you can you can get a badge, absolutely. But it's full-time, it's, like, it's a full-time um, study. Let's take a very quick break, just to remind you, if you love the show and would like to get involved, grab some cool stuff, get shout-outs on the show, have us create your very own London Legacy show, or you meet up with us in London for a coffee or something stronger, just head over to www.patreon.com forward slash your London legacy. Okay, let's carry on with the show. It's hardly a natural progression, is it, from being an, an actor to where you're very active and running around and singing and yeah. dancing to becoming quite a sedentary sort of role in a cab. Well, you're, you're so right. And I could have, you could be looking at me now and I could be twice the size I am. But I quickly realized that doing that type of sedentary job being on your backside for eight nine hours a day sometimes more more at the moment um under the present uh, situation um you've got to you've got to exercise you've got to get home i've got to get home i've got to run 
even though I don't feel like it sometimes, I've got to do some weights. I've got to make sure I'm burning calories. I've got to watch my diet because that type of work is not good for your fitness. So mm. I do, I, I'm pretty good. I've, since I've been in the cab, I've, I've been working out, I've been running. And yeah, it's so important. Up. In fact, I had, so, a couple of, I had a couple of guests on a few months ago. You may know them, Cabbers do Kilimanjaro. They were guys yeah. who, uh, a couple of overweight cabbers who decided to lose lose some weight. And what better way to do that than to train to climb Kilimanjaro and they, to, to, for uh, good causes. They've done and a great they, job. I can't remember how much weight they lost, but between them, it was dozens of stones, and, uh, you know, lots and lots of weight. And they're, they're nice nice and fit now. Yeah, they're, great they're, guys to do that. Good guys, yeah. really good guys, good good fun guys as well. Mm. So here you are. How long have you been um, running around in a black cab now? Right, so it's going to be 2005 I came out. So 2005, yeah, so it's looking 15, 16 years. Yeah, where does um, time go, eh? Where does time go? I'm all electric now. Uh, the progression has been made, uh, which is such a such a fantastic change, going from the old clunky, smelly diesel over to this yeah. electric vehicle, and the customers love it. It's smooth, Good. it's clean, and it's the right it's the right way to go. The vehicle is expensive, but. It's worth it. <laughs> it's a good yeah, vehicle. I'm glad to hear that because my next guest is a lady called Beth Gardner who's written a book called Choked, which is all about uh, air pollution around the world and what we're doing about it because it's, it's killing everybody slowly. Well, I hope she slowly, enjoys slowly. Yeah, I hope she enjoys the ride in the new London uh, the London electric cab. It's a great vehicle. So. Yeah, I'm sure she will. So this is where your love of London's come from, obviously, doing, doing the knowledge and looking at all these wonderful places of interest. Exactly. What happened... Being on the knowledge and and learning so much about London and coming to a point a year and a bit ago and thinking, God, I, I was looking at my old books and looking at everything I've written down and everything the examiners had asked me and everything I'd learned and that was still bimbling about in my head. And I thought, well, I, I don't want to lose all this. I don't want to keep it in books um, in these on these scraps of paper. So I thought... Let me let me get it out there. Let me get it out there. Let me get some things about London. I think that maybe not everyone would know. We all know the London Eye. We all know Buckingham Palace, um, London Dungeon. Let's do something a bit different. And a lot of that stuff I learned from the examiners because they used to ask some of the most strangest points of interest. Wilkins used to, Wilkins was the one who asked me, can you take me from the largest cathedral in London to the smallest cathedral? And the smallest cathedral is basically um, a monument that exists on the side of Vauxhall Bridge and I didn't have a clue what he was talking about. Smallest cathedral. You don't know where the smallest cathedral is? No, sir. No, sir. I don't know where the smallest cathedral is. Leave me alone. <laughs> <laughs> Take me to Vauxhall Bridge then. Um, and then off you go. You'd, you'd run it. Um, but he'd come up with the most, <laughs> the most obscure obscure points that's why when he came into the exam room and called your name out your heart would just sink but at the same time as soon as you found out about that point you learnt it you went out and found it yeah because it's such a much more interesting way to learn about places in london as you say rather than just take me for i don't know what st paul's presumably is the biggest cathedral. i don't know yeah to exactly just naming it but to, to give you a story because that's how we remember things isn't it by storytelling Absolutely. It's all about that storytelling and that extra engagement. Because if I was to say, let's go look at St. Paul's Cathedral, everyone's going to go, oh. But if I said, let's go look at the smallest cathedral in London, or let me, let's me let go from the London eye to the London nose, well, 
everyone's going to know where the London eye is, but they're not going to know where the London nose is. So I wanted to add something that had value and was new to the viewer that they wouldn't necessarily know about London. And everything I've tried to do is free. It's all free. You can go out and find everything on Secret London. Um, so we should say, because we actually haven't said what this is all about. You actually, your, your oh. vlog is a YouTube Secret. channel which you set up last year called Secret London. Secret London with Mark Monroe. It is indeed. Um, so what is it? Just just explain to people what it is. Well, it's everything I've learned over the past 15 years and during my time on the knowledge, everything I think that you won't know, and of course, some people will know, the audience out there, some of the audience will know, but it's those little things about London that are going to surprise you, hidden gems and quirky findings that I think that will stir people's interest. I'm not, I don't do any of the big stuff. I don't do your big palaces. I don't... Uh, uh, do the London Dungeons or the Tower of London or Madame Two Swords. I don't do the big touristy stuff. There's nothing wrong with that. That's fine. We, we love having people over there to go to these places and jump in cabs and meet everyone from around the world. But I want to share something a little bit more hidden under the surface of London and unique. And that's what the channel is. And that is why I... I was going to say, it's not why I love you. It's why. Come on, Steve. This is why I, I, I love the um, the channel. It's absolutely brilliant. So you, I mean, it also combines your rich talent for storytelling, for creativity, for yeah. because it's, it's film. You a little bit of acting, I suppose, in there as well. A little bit. I you have to do um, a bit of performance. There are some episodes where I do do a little bit of performance, but you've got to communicate as long as i'm communicating and i'm i'm and getting across what i want to say and people want to watch it that's the most important thing i just like to add that i've i'm i'm being my i'm myself obviously doing this and that that was the hardest thing at the start because i i had no experience in walking around with a tripod a camera uh, a gimbal what's a gimbal steve i didn't even know that was um, so i got a gimbal a tripod and it was new to me i had to be myself hi um and introduce myself and say what I was going to do. And um, I've looked back, funnily enough, I was looking at some of the episodes over the past over the past year, and we looked at the earlier episodes, and it's amazing how you improve. <laughs> That's yeah, all I can it, say. It, it truly is. Although having said that, I also started off with your very first one, which I think was September last, was it September last year? Yeah. Maybe August, September last year. And you were pretty damn slick. I have to say, you are very calm and collected and it's yeah. very professional it's it's it, it, it was it was a strange crossover from theater for me because theater is fine because you can be you, you're a different character i can go on and be this character that's fine but being myself to uh, a certain extent and obviously yeah absolutely being myself and communicating with an audience um through that platform uh, through a vlogging platform was new to me let alone having to film myself and do all the do all the shoot myself, do all the tech myself. Um, that was something I had to learn. I had to get advice from because uh, I just did not I did not know how to pr to approach that in the right way. So you'll notice in the earlier videos, I, I tend to look like I'm just talking a lot to the camera, not moving about the district where I'm doing the filming. But now I've learned how to do walk ups and walk away, or they're they called cutaways. <laughs> so, so I mean, uh, one thing which is which is quite um, 
which is quite nice when people ask me this question and say, Who, who's filming you? Who, who's, who's filming you? I said, well, I said, absolutely, it's me and a tripod, a gimbal and a camera. There's no one else there. So who's filmed you walking up there? And who, well, what you do to give the shot depth, to give the episode a wholesome feel rather than me having a selfie stick stuck in my face is you feel myself walking towards the venues you're visiting, walking towards the quirky attraction you want to show the viewer. Just just making it look like, yeah, it just pads it out. It makes it look whole. You've got to be very make, trustworthy as well. Presumably you're setting up a tripod somewhere. <laughs> you keep away and leaving it well, um, my last 100 episode. yards away. Yeah, the last episode that's coming out this weekend, I had to set a tripod up behind the taxi and drive away from it. <laughs> so very trusting of Londoners. Yeah. So I've set a tripod up, and I've—it's uh, only about two foot high. I put the gimbal on top of the tripod. I put the camera on top of the gimbal, and I've started. I press play, and I've got in to drive away. And I'm thinking, and I'm looking in the rearview mirror, and I'm keeping a very close eye on that equipment. <laughs> Hoping that no one runs up to it, snatches it, and um, you know runs away with it. But Londoners, yeah. London, Londoners are nice people; they wouldn't do anything. Absolutely, I don't want to get technical, but I, I, the, the equipment you're using is you just using your phone camera, or you? I'm uh, every episode. It was uh, iPhone Seven Plus for the first eight episodes, and now um, after that, it was an Eleven Plus. The, it's fine. I've spoken. Quality to is excellent. Could, Really good. On the 11 Plus, it's great because I can use the the 4K and the 24 frames, which kind of makes it look softer and smoother, and it looks a bit more cinematic. But I am impressed with that piece of equipment. It it, it does the job. Uh, a friend of mine said, "What do you want? You don't need to go and get this and that and spend thousands and thousands. This just goes to show what you can do with." An iPhone, an iPhone 11. Once you've got the 4K and the 24 frames, the picture looks nice, it, and it's perfectly adequate. Because no one said, no one said to me, "Oh my God, your picture—it's awful." No, no one's you know come up and um, complained about the picture at all. They might have done about the sound sometimes, because that's that's the one to get right, as uh-huh. you know, Steve. You're a sound. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Sound yeah. is sound is important. You realise very quickly that sound is just as important as the visual, especially. It's really important, but that's all part of the fun, isn't it? It's a learning learning curve for you. I mean, you're, you're doing this. Well, I guess you're doing it not to make a make a mint, but to because you enjoy it. But it's, it's a bit of entertainment for yourself, and you're building up a following. Yeah, I, I I do it because I enjoy it. I do it because there's nothing more rewarding than someone coming back to me and say, "I didn't know that." Oh my God, I'm going to go out and look for that and find it. I'm going to go out and visit that. And I have a follower I know who's in India. And it's amazing to think that someone somewhere in India on a Sunday night will sit down and watch Mark, Secret London with Mark Monroe and say, send me some, a lovely comment just like, Oh, your channel's fantastic. One day I want to come to London. One day I want to visit London. Yeah. And if someone aspires to that after watching an episode, well, I've done my job. You know, well, let's talk about some of the, the fantastic stories because I've had a little look at. Uh, I, haven't, I haven't seen your whole back catalogue. Oh, well, be, be a good few hours, but I picked out some of them. Some of them are really quite moving. They're, they're all yeah. fascinating and very interesting. I, I, I loved the um, the Rourke's Drift one for a number Rourke's, of reasons. Rourke's Come on, tell us about the Rourke's Drift one. Rourke's Drift. Well, this is um, this this story has a connection to cab drivers in London, to myself, there was a gentleman called uh, Frederick Hitch. 
and um, he was a he was a he was a London taxi driver at the turn of the century. I have to say, the first thing I liked about this guy was he uh, was in Southgate, wasn't he, from Chase Side? That's is, right. Which, which is where I met my wife, just just around the corner from Chase Side. Exactly. Right. <laughs> Manor right? Drive, off Manor Drive. Yeah. Well, you, you'll you'll be up for us at VC soon then. After the, <laughs> So there's all sorts of reasons why I like this. I, I like that connection. I like the Michael Caine connection. I like the Michael Caine connection. Zulu is one of my. I mean, I'm spoiling the story, but there's so many reasons I, oh, I like no. this story. So carry on. The the film's fantastic. So yeah. Frederick Hitch was a London taxi driver at the turn of the century. But before he became a London taxi driver, he served in the Battle of Rourke's Drift, and for his endeavours and his bravery, he. He earned himself the Victoria Cross, which is uh, the highest accolade for bravery in any of the forces. But <laughs> funnily enough, he lived in, well, he was born in Southgate, as you said, and he then moved to Chiswick, uh, Cranbrook Road. There's a blue plaque there, 62 Cranbrook Road, and you can go and visit his blue plaque. It says, Frederick Hick lived here, um, a soldier of Rourke Drift who won the Victoria Cross. There were, uh, at the Battle of Rourke's Drift, which was, wasn't a battle post as such, I, I talk about this in the episode, it was actually um, a, a medical centre um, and it needed defending against 4,000 Zulus on that, uh, when the battle started on that particular night. And our hero, Hitch, there was only 100 soldiers there defending the drift. Um, and our hero, Hitch, got injured but still managed to ferry ammunition to the front line in order to keep the defense going of the uh, of the battlements and that's that's what he earned his victoria cross for um, he was patched up by surgeon reynolds and he went he was told you can't go out but he said no i'm going out these soldiers need ammunition we need to we need to keep them supplied if we're not we're done for he finished his service he was with the 24th foot, if I remember correctly, came back to London. He was recognised. It was at the Netley Hospital first in Southampton, I think. And then he moved up to London, uh, Chiswick, um, uh, and he was recognised and was awarded the Victoria Cross. And then he went from job to job. Um, he always wore his Victoria Cross wherever he went. He always got a, he always got a drink. <laughs> Free drink. He was very proud of it, and then he he, he couldn't. Uh, Frederick couldn't hold down a job very well until he became a London taxi driver. Uh, he had a horse-drawn carriage to start off with, and then went over to motorised, and then carried on driving the taxi to the end of his days. When unfortunately he had a heart attack at home, and was then buried in St Nicholas's Church down on the river. And there's the most amazing memorial there to him it's which is, splendid isn't it it's absolutely it's, huge it's absolutely when i was walking into the um the cemetery i it just stood out i thought has a king died here yeah. uh, and it's actually got the helmet that they they wore um which we're so familiar with from the movie yeah, uh, yeah. michael kane michael kane michael kane i'm gonna blow the bloody doors off, doors off. <laughs> <laughs> exactly that and Wrong it, movie i know but hey yeah <laughs> But still a great movie. Yeah. And it's sitting there on top of the memorial. And for all of its um, injustices, the rights and wrongs of mm. wars, and I know, you know people, die, people died at Rourke's Drift, not just soldiers. There are native 
people there as well. That has to be respected. I understand that. But it's still a story worth telling because that's how it was. And and that's what happened. And the connection with him becoming a London taxi driver is just – it's quite profound when you're a London taxi driver. So how did you come across that story, do the research, and then decide to – you know, to tell that one. That was brought to my attention by another taxi driver in a green, in a green hut. You've seen the green huts. I was in there early days. I used to go, I don't go into the green huts now, but in my early days I went in there and um, one of the old boys said, Oh, do you, do you know, you ever heard of um, Frederick Hitch? And I I looked at him and I had no idea. Anyway, he told me and I said, you're joking. Well, it's a taxi driver. You're a rock's drift. I did the research after that. And then I thought, you know, this is going to make a good episode. And I went out and I filmed it one evening. Uh, it's a lovely part of the world down there, Chiswick Mouse and mm. Nicholas's Church. And I walked the, foot, I walked the footsteps of Frederick Hitch. So is that your process? You get an idea, you do the research, and then you decide whether it's one worth putting out? I have lots of ideas, subjects, and I think, is that worthy? Is that worthy? Can I do that one? Can I get enough out of that one? Will the episode be long enough? Is there a big enough or interesting enough backstory? Mm. It's got to have enough. It's got to have enough content. It's got to have enough ingredients for me to say, yes, that's a goer. I'll do an episode. Yeah. There's there's other ones that didn't make it to judges' houses. If you Still on the cutting room floor. Yeah, 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 exactly that. So, and some, some I've looked at and I've thought, Okay, I'll give it a go. And I've thought, oh, this is this is is this going to be a channel filler? Am I just treading water with this one? And then afterwards, it's turned out to be a lot better than I thought. But there there have been two that I've discarded. They they mm. they weren't worthy, if, if if you know what I mean. So do the research. I think that's a great story. I'm always asking people, tell me something about London that you don't think I'd know. And if you've got something you want me to look at, let me know. And don't tell me, don't don't tell me about Madame Tussauds yeah. or something like that. But the Secret Garden came from a customer. Secret Garden, oh, come on, you got to tell me. This is just stunning. I mean, well, I know Reg- I know Regent's Park, but I didn't know the Secret Garden. I hope you've been there now, Steve. I haven't. I haven't. Been there. I haven't. Oh, we've we've had lockdown. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Maybe we'll, we'll get there. I, I remember that. Um, <laughs> it's it's open now, by the way. I drove past it a couple of days ago. Mm-hmm. A customer I picked up in Bolsover Street, which is south of the park. Um, we were chatting about. I, I, in fact, I said, oh, "You're so lucky living right next to Regent's Park. You can go out there every um, every weekend." And she said, um, "Oh, I, I don't go to the main park. I go to the Secret Garden." So obviously, the antenna has gone ding <laughs> ding. That sounds like a Mark Monroe adventure <laughs> coming up. And she said, "Oh, the Secret Garden next to the um, the Greenkeeper's Hut on the Inner Circle about one o'clock." I said, "I don't know that." She goes, "It's just a gateway." It's just a it's just a gateway. That's all it is. It's not even there's no sign saying go this way, go that way. There is a little plaque on the wall. Once you get past the gates, she said, "Go and visit it." So guess what, Steve? I did, <laughs> and I thought this is great. Stunning. This, this this will make an episode, and it's one of the the gardens themselves are a part of one of two garden villas. Uh, this this garden belongs to the villa that sits to the left side of it if you were looking at 12 o'clock north um, and these are the its private gardens but the sultan of brunei he's a very generous chappy said that the public can use his front garden to relax yeah. it. and it's a what what makes the garden for me is this is the entrance the reveal you go down 
this flower hedgerow lined corridor and what's it called is it it's not a bodega it's called and you're going through this canopy this uh, floral canopy yes so you're walking down into uh, the reveal the surprise it's like it's nearly alice in wonderland um you're going down the rabbit hole and then you still can't see the garden at the end because there's this big urn this piece of sculpture at the end and you have to turn left and the hedge still follows you around and you don't know when you're going to get out and then all of a sudden you walk out and the reveal is this amazing garden with this statue in front of you of hylas the nymph and it hits you and you're in these separate little compartments it's wonderfully well kept it's wonderfully loved and it's peaceful it's quiet and don't you dare tell anyone else about it <laughs> it's not so much a secret anymore yeah yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. but it, it, it's just the entrance and the reveal when you get in and how many people don't know it. and i must say its name it's called st john's lodge gardens absolutely wonderful Let's, let's just whiz through a couple, couple more as well before we start to wind up. You've got a, a, a very a memorable one, as far as I'm concerned, about the Foundling Hospital. I thought that was very touching, um, emotional, Hospital, actually. Yeah, I, I loved that episode. I, 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 and some of the reaction I got to that episode was really important. It's a story that has to be told and shared, that story. Hmm about the orphanage the orphan's hospital that existed the foundling hospital and um john aldous the artist has embedded in the streets and the pavements of marshmont street these objects these bright shiny objects and most people look up when they're in london um, sorry most people don't look down onto the pavement because there's normally not a lot going on there apart from chewing gum and a bit of litter maybe but the the, the pavements in Marshmont Street reveal these shiny objects and they're actually called tokens and they represent quite poignant really tokens were left from mothers who were giving up their children at the foundling hospital and these objects they could be anything a piece of jewelry a necklace a piece of special cloth um a a pearl a bead a comb something that the mother could connect her with the child in case at a later date she would come back and reclaim that child mm. now this was this was quite sad in many respects in, in lots of respects because 90 percent of mothers never came back to collect their children and if they did, because there were so many children there, that token was very important because she, was, she would say, I left the brooch. And then the brooch could be connected to the right child. And then she would be reunited. Um, but like I said, the sad story is that that rarely happened. So the museum, the founding museum, houses these original tokens that the mothers left when they had to go through that awful distressing moment of giving up their children and it 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 doesn't stop there because once the foundling hospital had got to capacity they had to use a ballot system before children were accepted and mothers were invited into a darkened room uh, the candles were snubbed out and there were three different colored balls in a small hessian sack that would be held out to her. They were a white ball, a red ball, a black ball. If she put her hand in and drew out a white ball, 
then her child would be accepted into the orphanage, into the hospital, providing he got through the medical. If the mother drew out a red ball, she would be put on a white ball rejection list, meaning that if a child didn't get through a medical on the white ball, she would be next in line. If, however, she drew out a black ball, she would be escorted to the front door and thrown back out onto the streets with the child to a future of almost certain destitution. So it was a big deal. And this hospital, which was founded by um, Lord Marshmont, Frederick Handel and Hogarth, was the first of its kind. And it serves us today and was the precursor to all the many wonderful adoption agencies and orphanages and uh, societies and practices that care for children in our modern society now. So that it was it was where it all began, if you like, as far as adoption and um, look caring for children in society. Yeah. So yeah, I get a bit. Yeah, it's it's a great story. I love no, it. It's wonderful. It. Yeah, it, it's it's very emotional. And um, I mean, these are the stories that. We don't often hear about, as you say, we hear about, you know, Buckingham Palace and the Big Wheel yeah. and all this sort of stuff, yeah. London Eye rather. But these are, the, these are the personal stories which go to make up the history and the culture. Um, Absolutely. Because London. London is all about the people. Absolutely. I would, if you're walking down Marshmont, if you're in Bloomsbury, just pop over to Marshmont Street and see that pavement for yourself and read the names of the children on some of these tokens on some of these brooches these these little trinkets it's incredible incredible mm. well worth a visit well there's so many wonderful stories and i urge people to go to um your channel subscribe and uh, hit like if you do, do smash it as you say smash that thumbs up button smash leave any comments thumbs. down below so how do people find you how, how do people where, where do they get in touch with yep. you instagram secret london pics and um, Facebook, Secret London with Mark Monroe, and YouTube, Secret London with Mark Monroe. Because that's where you really want them to go, yeah. Yeah. You're using, as I said before, you're using all your natural storytelling ability, your acting skills, and now your um, your filmmaking and editorial skills as well. They're getting better, Steve. My They're getting, getting better. Better than <laughs> no. last night. Better than last night. <laughs> better, better than last night. Before I let you go, um, I ask all my guests to talk about or to mention a couple of places in London that are particularly special or personal to them. And I think you may have mentioned one of them already, but would you like to divulge your special places, please? Well, you, you know, St. John's Lodge Gardens is going to be always a big hit. But um, Little Venice, yeah, I could spend a day walking the canals of Little Venice, taking coffee, sitting there. And it was the venue that I completed my one of the episodes after lockdown because I couldn't film during then. And it was the most wonderful day. And things were starting to ease. We were allowed to get out and about. And I was allowed to film. And I had to do an episode on that subject because I, I had to talk about the elephant in the room. I can't disappear for two months and not publish anything and then come back and say, hey, guess what? Mark Monroe's back. We're just going to do a story about this. So I did an episode about how London got through lockdown. And it was important I did that. I, uh, it was a good reset for the channel. It's a lovely episode. I have seen that one. Uh, I had to do that. But what I did do, I wanted to go to a place I love being in London, Little Venice, around those little canals, taking coffee, walking, stopping off for a drink. And it was soothing there that day. And it was easy to film. And it was a great backdrop because I loved showing 
the view of that part of London after going through everything that everyone's been through. <laughs> yeah. It was nice to it was nice to see that again. It was nice for everyone and Londoners to experience that part of London. And um, it was a great day's filming. I enjoyed it. Well, Little Venice is, is, is a beautiful place. It's the canal. For those who don't know, it's the canals uh, in and around Maida Vale and all that sort of part yep. of London, West London. You can get London. there, uh, Warwick Avenue. If you get Warwick out of Warwick Avenue, Avenue yeah, you'll be able song. to get out of that cube station. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So thank you very much indeed for making it onto the podcast finally. Thank <laughs> it's you, a, It's Steve. been a pleasure to have you on. What, what's next? Have you got some good stories lined up for us? I'm, I'm, I'm publishing this weekend. It's The episode's called All Hail the London Taxi. So ah. that'll be out Saturday. Good. No clues. Um, we're, we shall... no, no clues. No clues. No clues. No. We're supposed to do the suspense thing, aren't I? Yeah. No clues. <laughs> Go onto YouTube. Secret London with Mark Monroe. Absolutely. Hit him up, as they say. Um, you won't regret it. They're, they're thoroughly entertaining and uh, educational and fun all at the same time. So once again, Mark, thank you ever so much. It's been an absolute pleasure to have you on the show. Thanks, and, Steve. Uh, hopefully, when lockdown's finished, I'll um, jump in the back of your cab and you can take me for a little spin round. You betcha. No problem at all. All electric. All right. <laughs> take care take care thank you bye i absolutely love creating your london legacy for you and the feedback and testimonials are awesome but as it grows so it consumes more and more resources so i've joined forces with patreon a really cool place where you can show your love and support from just as little as two dollars a month as a silver londoner right up to three hundred dollars per month where you get the crown jewels each level of subscription opens up a host of exclusive extra goodies, events, bonus shows, and sponsorship opportunities only available via, via Patreon. I do hope you will continue to support what we're doing here, and I'm so grateful for whatever you feel able to give. So please head over to www.patreon.com forward slash your London legacy. That's www.patreon.com forward slash your London legacy.